next Sunday, I've got something very special for the super kids. So come next week as well. Praise God. Father, thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the Holy Spirit speaking to us today. Thank you for opening our hearts to your word this morning, Father. Thank you for giving me utterance today, Lord, to speak your word. And thank you, Lord, for the great good news that we have to proclaim, not only in the Christmas season, but throughout the year. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Thank you for that great truth that we have, that wonderful news that we have to embrace, to receive, to live in, and to proclaim. In Jesus' name, we thank you for it. And everyone that agreed said? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. 700 years before the birth of Jesus, the prophet Isaiah was ministering to the nation of Israel. And, and Isaiah began to prophesy about the coming Messiah. You know these. In Isaiah 7 and verse 14, Isaiah prophesied this, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. What a clear and precise prophecy that we see, that we know, looking back, was, was clearly perfectly fulfilled in Jesus of Nazareth. He said, Isaiah prophesied 700 years before, said a virgin is going to conceive. A virgin is going to bear a son, and, and you're going to call the name of that son Emmanuel, because Emmanuel means God with us. That child that would be born of the virgin is God, Isaiah's prophesying. And God will come to earth to be with us. Emmanuel, God, not only is he God, but he's God with us. Hallelujah. God coming to be with us. Amen. And he did. Amen. In Isaiah 9, Isaiah continues to prophesy as we see in chapter 9. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. So Isaiah here is prophesying about a specific area and region that's going to see great light. And uh, that region is, is Galilee of the Gentiles, all right? And then he, and as we skip down a few verses in this same chapter, Isaiah 9, he says this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So these prophecies and so many others through the book of Isaiah make it abundantly clear that God was sending a deliverer God was sending a Savior to His people. Isaiah makes it clear in this prophecy as well that the Messiah is indeed God. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, and Everlasting Father. 
And it says the increase of his government, there will be no end. And he's going to reign upon the throne of David and over his kingdom. Praise God. So not only was Isaiah prophesying about the coming Messiah, but many of the other Old Testament prophets did as well. One of them was named Micah. And uh, Micah, his ministry was during the time of Hezekiah, when Hezekiah was king of Judah. And so that was about the same time that Isaiah was prophesying because, you know, uh, Isaiah prophesied when, when the enemies of Israel, when, when, uh, when the Assyrians came in to attack Israel, Isaiah went and prophesied to Hezekiah that God would deliver them. When Hezekiah was sick and going to die, Isaiah came back to him and said, God's going to add 15 years to your life. So Micah was prophesying during this same time, during the reign of King Hezekiah. So Micah was a contemporary of Isaiah's. Uh, again, this is 700 years before the birth of Jesus. And here's what Micah said in Micah 5 and verse 2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you were little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. So Micah brings the revelation that the Messiah would come from the small and insignificant village of Bethlehem. He said, you're little, you're, you're little among the thousands of, of villages and towns in Judah, but out of you is going to come the ruler uh, over my people Israel, and his goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. And this astounding part of, of Micah's prophecy that this ruler, this Messiah that's going to be born is again, is God because he has existed from eternity past. Amen. And finally, we'll look at, we could look at many, but we'll look at one more. Uh, the last book of the Old Testament, the last page of that book, the book of Malachi. In Malachi chapter 4 and verse 2, it says, it says here, But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. Praise God. So here, Malachi, the last, the last book in the Old Testament, last prophet of the Old Testament, he too is prophesying about a deliverer, about a redeemer coming, the son of righteousness arising with healing in his wings. Praise God. And Micah also prophesies that this Messiah is going to have a forerunner. There's going to be somebody coming before him. Because in verse 5, he says this, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. And with these words, the book of Malachi ends, the Old Testament ends, and there is silence from God for 400 years. From the book of Malachi... Until the birth of Jesus is 400 years. There's no prophet. There's no recorded prophecy. There's no more books of scripture, inspired words, inspired messages being written. God stands silent for 400 years. The only thing that we see in history in the, in the hand of God at work came in the second century B.C., and that's when, and you probably know about this, and the, and the Jewish people are getting ready to celebrate it right now, what we know, what they call, and what we know as Hanukkah. 
And the Hanukkah celebration, if you're not aware, comes from the fact that, that in the, around 170 B.C., 170 years before the birth of Jesus, uh, a, a, a man that, that was, a, uh, that, that when, when Alexander the Great's kingdom broke up, it broke up into four different uh, sections. Uh, Daniel prophesies about that, and history uh, affirms that it's true. And one of those rulers over part of that kingdom was a man named Antiochus Epiphanes. And uh, Antiochus Epiphanes invaded the land of Israel, the land of the Jews, and he took over uh, the nation and he uh, closed the temple down. He forbade the Jews from worshiping in the temple. And finally, as in, in such an act, uh, uh, an act of defiance, uh, Antiochus went into the temple and sacrificed a pig on the altar in the temple. Daniel calls this the abomination of desolation. There's a twofold uh, fulfillment of that prophecy. It happened in the days of Antiochus, who was a type of Antichrist, and it's all gonna, also going to happen similarly again when the Antichrist himself comes into the temple and proclaims that everybody should worship him. But Antiochus Epiphanes came in and desecrated the temple. Well, that was all. The Jews couldn't stand it anymore, thank God. And there was a righteous priest named Matthias, and Matthias had five sons, and uh, one of the, the most prominent of those sons was Judah Maccabees. And, um, and Judah and his brothers led a revolt against Antiochus and his forces. And after three years, they regained control of Jerusalem and they regained control of the temple. And they came into the temple and they, and they uh, sanctified the temple. All that desecration that had taken place, they came in and they sanctified the temple and they built a new altar and put it in the temple. And they went to rededicate the altar and to light the menorah, and they found that there was only enough oil, Antiochus had left only enough oil uh, for the menorah to burn for only one night. And uh, so they said, well, this is a start. We've got to find some consecrated oil, but we'll start here. And they lit the menorah, and they put, they put the oil in, lit the menorah, and the miracle is this, that that one-day supply of oil lasted for eight days until they could get the consecrated oil in to keep the menorah going. And that's why the Jews celebrate, and, 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 and Judah Maccabees decree that, that, that the Jews should, should mark this date every year. And from that time, 200 year, or 167 years before Christ, or 165 years before Christ, up until today, the Jews celebrate Hanukkah. And, uh, and so the, 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 the Festival of Lights, they celebrate it for eight days. It begins on the 19th, I think, right? The 19th this year, so... Praise God. But that's the only record that we have of, uh, uh, of God at work during this period. There's no, uh, there's no prophecies. There's no prophets. And God is silent. What were, the, what were the people of God to think? Had God forgotten about them? What about these grand prophecies of Isaiah and Micah and Malachi and, and Jeremiah and so many others about the glory, the coming glory and restoration and and the Messiah and the Savior, after 400 years of silence, what, maybe, maybe it's all made up. Maybe, maybe it's not real. Maybe it's just, you know, they just were trying to inspire people with a false hope. Maybe there's nothing to this. How did the people of God respond during that day? Well, we don't know about all of them, but we do see that, that God had a remnant, that there was at least a remnant of people that continued to serve God, 
continued to follow his commandments, continued to live by his word, continued to believe in his promises, and to continue to expect that, yes, the Messiah is coming. Even though we've not heard anything for 400 years, we believe he's still coming. Oh, think about the faithfulness. Think about the faithfulness of people to continue to hold on to that promise after all of these centuries of, of, of God being silent, of there not being any sign, not being anything pointing to uh, the fulfillment of this. But, but suddenly things begin to happen. Hallelujah. And uh, we're going to skip ahead in the story a little bit to just after the birth of Jesus because I want to show you two people that were, that were instrumental in this and what they were doing and some lessons we can learn from them. You, I'm sure I've talked about these folks before many times. I can't let a Christmas season pass without talking about Simeon and Anna. In Luke 2.25, it says, Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout. So he was walking righteously. He was devoted to God. He was walking with God. He was just and devout. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He hadn't given up. Even though there had been 400 years of silence, he still believed that the Messiah was coming. Praise God. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ. What a promise God gave him. So he had not stopped believing, even though there had not been a living prophet or a recorded prophecy in his entire lifetime, he was still believing. And he was walking with God and he was just and devout. He held on those prophecies. And, and he walked with God intimately and he knew the Holy Spirit. Praise God. He, couldn't, he, wasn't, he wasn't saved in the sense that we are and couldn't have the fullness of the Spirit like we have. And yet the Bible says the Holy Spirit was upon him and he knew the Holy Spirit. And look at what it says in verse 27. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. Joseph and Mary are bringing Jesus in when Jesus is eight days old to circumcise him in the temple. They bring him up from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. It's only six miles. It's just a short trip. And so they had, they had come up uh, to circumcise, have Jesus circumcised. And so at that instant, with every, all the activity, everything going on, one man, Simeon, says, hey, today's the day. Today's the day. The Holy Spirit just made, it so aware, made him so aware of that. And he comes in at the very moment that Mary and Joseph are bringing Jesus in. And in verse, it says, And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and saying, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared before the face of who? All peoples. There were Simeon and those who knew the Holy Spirit had a revelation that this Messiah wasn't just for the Jews, but for all people. A light, verse 32, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Hallelujah. So even though it looked like God had forgotten his people, he had been silent 400 years. In reality, not only had he not forgotten them, he was coming in person at that very time to save them. 
Hallelujah. And then there's Anna. The very next verse says, Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years. Now there's two ways to interpret that. One, you can say, oh, she's 84 years old, but that's being redundant. They just said in a verse before she was of, of a great age. I believe after her husband died, she lived another 84 years. That would put her at a great age. If she was 20 when she got married, could have been married much earlier than that in that time. But if she was 20 and she lived to age 27 when her husband died and now she's 84, do the math, she's what, 111? That'd be a great age, wouldn't it? Okay. So I think, I think, that's, I think that's the accurate one, okay? So she'd lived to a, a great age and this woman was a widow of about 84 years. Look at, look at her life. Look at what she did. Look at how she lived. Who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. Hallelujah. There were some people that hadn't forgotten. There were some people that hadn't given up hope. There were some people that hadn't said, oh, we're not going with God hasn't said anything in 400 years, we don't believe he exists anymore. There were some people that held on to his word and held on to his promise and continued to believe and continued to pray and continued to serve him. Hallelujah. And Anna, look at what it says about her in verse 38. And coming in that instant, hallelujah, the same instant that Simeon, is as he's led by the Spirit to come in, and as Simeon, takes the baby Jesus in his arms and blesses the Lord. At that very moment, Anna comes in. Hallelujah. See, when you're looking, when you're, when you're continuing to believe and to expect, God will have you at the right place at the right time. And beloved, you're not going to miss anything God's doing in this day if you'll keep believing and expecting. Amen. Praise God. At that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord. She came in at that instant. She gave thanks to the Lord and she spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Israel. So that we know there were others. They're not named and they're not mentioned specifically by, by individual. But Anna went out that day and she found other people that were part of that, part of that remnant, just like her, part of that remnant that had, had continued to believe, had continued to serve God, had continued to follow God. Hallelujah. And she said, he's here, y'all. He's here. He's here. He came. God kept his word. Hallelujah. Amen. Now I want to go backwards in time, about 15 months from this event that we just looked at. In Luke chapter 1, it says, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Notice that. What they do? They continued to serve God, didn't they? This, this righteous man named Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth, it says they were righteous before God. They were walking in all the commandments. They hadn't, they hadn't given up. They hadn't said, oh, this, we're just going to go live any way we want to. No, they said, we're going to keep following God. We're going to keep living by His Word. We're going to keep walking righteously. Amen. Amen. Verse 7, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well advanced in years. So they, they'd been doing this all their lives and now they're old people. 
They're all well advanced in years. All right. And verse eight, or verse 8 says, So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Well, there was, you know, whether it was just religious observance or whether there, we don't know how many of them were genuinely expecting and believing, how many were just, okay, this is just what we do. But there had to be some in there that were continuing to believe and to expect, amen, and to follow God faithfully. They were outside praying at the hour of incense and an angel of the Lord appeared to him. He goes in to burn incense and he's done this all his life. And he's had nothing supernatural happen. God's been silent for 400 years. Nobody's talked about ever seeing an angel during his lifetime. Nobody, there's not even been any living prophet who said, thus saith the Lord, the word of the Lord came to me. None of that during his entire lifetime. He's had to go back 400, 500, 600 years and read about what God, when God would speak and when the prophets would speak and when God would manifest himself. None of that his entire lifetime and he goes in to do his thing and boom, an angel, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. Yeah, nothing supernatural had ever happened to him. But now an angel is appearing to him and bringing him some wonderful news. Hallelujah. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, verse 13, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This was actually the first prophetic utterance that we'd had in 400 years and what does God do? He picks up right where he left off. The last words he said were in Malachi where he says, I'm going to send you Elijah before the coming of the day of the Lord and he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the very first statement that's made about the coming of the Messiah is made in this message that the angel delivers and he says he's going to go before you in the spirit and power of Elijah. God picks up right where he left off. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that amazing? Hallelujah. Well, you know the rest of the story. This child becomes John the Baptist, the forerunner, the one who it was to prepare the way for Jesus. Six months fast forward. And we go up to Nazareth. That's happening in Jerusalem at the temple. We go up to Nazareth, which is in Galilee. Isaiah had prophesied something about Galilee, hadn't he? Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying again. 
400 years, no manifestation, no angel. God is silent. But now an angel's appeared over here. She didn't know anything about what had happened down in Jerusalem six months before with Zacharias. But now here she is, this teenage girl living up in this remote city, you know, way away from, from Jerusalem uh, in, the, in the land of Galilee. And in, in she's living in the city of Nazareth here. And all of a sudden an angel appears to her. An angel comes in. The, not just an angel. The angel Gabriel, one of the, one of the archangels, one of the main ones. And, uh, and, and, he, and he gives her a message. She was troubled. When she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Hallelujah. So the angel Gabriel appears to Mary, delivering the word of the Lord to her that she as a virgin is going to conceive in her womb, bring forth a son, just like Isaiah prophesied, 700 years before, and this son would be named Jesus. He would indeed, without question, he would be the Messiah in fulfillment of all these prophecies of the Old Testament. So after four, and, 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 what, does, and what does Mary do? Rather than saying, oh, I don't believe any of that. We've not heard from God for 400 years. There's nothing to this anymore. We'd all lost hope and we'd forgotten. No, there were some that hadn't forgotten. There were some that continued to believe, and she was among them. Because when that message came to her, she said, All right, let it be to me according to your word. Hallelujah. Amen. <clears throat> so God had not forgotten. He had not forsaken his people. The prophecies were not just fanciful dreams. They were the very words of God that he was now bringing to pass. Hallelujah. As Paul described later in Galatians, when the fullness of the time had come when the fullness of the time had come. Mary received the word of God. She conceives in her womb, though she's a virgin. Her fiancé, Joseph, you know, doesn't understand it first. And he's contemplating annulling the engagement, the betrothal. But the Lord speaks to him in a dream. In Matthew 1, in verse 20, But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to, your take, take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. He thought she'd run around on him. He thought she'd been, you know, how, how is it possible that you're pregnant? You know, you've been with another man. We're engaged here. So he, was gonna, he, was, he wasn't going to shame her. The Bible says he was going to put her away privately. So he was a, a devout, godly man. He didn't want to shame her. So he was going to do it privately, just break off the, and annul the, the betrothal. And, and the angel says, no, don't do it. Let me tell you what's going on here. Mary has conceived by the Holy Spirit. That which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she's going to bring forth a son. In verse 21, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken, verse 22, which was spoken by Isaac, through the prophet, saying... Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God 
with us. Isaiah's prophecy being fulfilled. Amen. And, and, and the interesting thing is, too, is that, uh, so, you know, they, they probably have, they hadn't had any contact here because word has come that Mary's pregnant, Joseph is, is, is disappointed, he's hurt, he's angry, and he's going to, so they probably haven't had any communication. And Mary's all thinking, oh, what's going to happen now? But I know God's spoken to me. I know people don't understand. And so I'm sure after this, after this dream, then God speaks to him. He comes back to Mary and he says, Mary, you know, it's going to be all right. God spoke to me. And, and, uh, and, and he says, tell me what, what happened to you. What, what? She said, well, you know, an angel appeared to me. And then they compared notes about what to name the child. God had told both of them. God had told Mary, you should call his name Jesus. God had told Joseph, you should call his name Jesus. I'm sure they got to that point. What should we name him? Well, here's what God said to me. What did God say to you? Boom, same thing. They had both heard from God. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, you know, also during this time, the Romans, who were the Romans were occupying Judea, and uh, they ordered a census. The, the Caesar Augustus ordered that a census be taken. Everybody had to go to their ancestral home and be registered. And so Joseph was of the house of David, so he had to go to Bethlehem. So they have to make the trip to Bethlehem. Mary is great with child when they make the trip to uh, Bethlehem. And Jesus is born in Bethlehem, just like Micah had prophesied 700 years before. Amen? Jesus, Jesus grows up. And J.J., you can come on, come on back up and begin to play if you would. But Jesus grows up. And uh, at the age of 30, uh, Jesus is baptized by John in the Jordan River. And he begins his ministry where? In Galilee, just like Isaiah foretold, Matthew 4, verse 12. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to where? To Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulon and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulon. And the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. Jesus grows up, begins his ministry in Galilee, and is fulfilling Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, as he does. Verse 23 of Matthew 4 says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Hallelujah. Truly a great light was shining on the people that were sitting in the shadow of, of darkness and death. Amen. Jesus came teaching and preaching and healing all through Galilee. Praise God. So why am I telling you all this this morning? Is it just a nice history lesson about what God did and about fulfillment of prophecy? What's the point? What does it have to do with my life today? What is it, how does it help me with my life? You might be thinking or wondering. And if not, then you, can, you, have, the, you have my permission to start thinking that way right now. So. Just this. This Jesus that came the first time, that burst onto the scene after 400 years of silence, guess what? He's coming again. 
Isaiah 9, 1 and 2 talked about Galilee and the people that sat in darkness seeing a great light. But Isaiah 9 and 6 and 7 says the government is going to be on his shoulder. Hallelujah. He's coming back for that. He's coming back for that. Hallelujah. A lot of the Old Testament prophecies concerning the coming of the Messiah were fulfilled in His first coming. But there's a lot that were to be fulfilled in His second coming. And He's coming again. And you know what God needs today? God needs people just like Simeon and Anna and Mary and all those unnamed individuals that even though God was silent for 400 years, they continued to serve God and they continued to follow His Word and they continued to believe His promise and they continued to expect He's coming He's coming. Hallelujah. That's what, that's what we need to be. That should be our posture. That should be our place. That should be our attitude today. Yeah. God may be, it, it, may, it may seem like that God's not working much now. It may seem like that evil is prevailing. But I want you to know Jesus is coming back. And He will establish His kingdom. And He will reign forever. And of His kingdom there will be no end. Hallelujah. And we're in that kingdom. We're part of that kingdom today. And we, through the name of Jesus and through the authority that He's given us and the gospel that He's given us, we can bring light into the darkness during our time and during our generation. That's the kind of people that He, that he wants us to be. That's what, see, I believe God was dependent I don't believe all of this would have happened without Simeon expecting and believing, without Anna devoting 84 years of her life to pray for the coming of the... Oh, Pastor, I've been praying for revival. I've been praying for the move of God and for the harvest. And I've been believing that Jesus is coming again for a long time. I have for 40 years, I have. Over 40. I first heard about the... Uh, really about the rapture and the second coming and got excited about it. not long after I got filled with the Holy Spirit then, and that's been over 40 years ago and uh, I'm still believing and still expecting I'm not going to say oh well you know they've been saying this no I'm going to continue to believe I'm going to continue to expect I'm going to continue to follow God faithfully hallelujah he needs us to do that somehow Somehow we help facilitate that great plan coming to pass, just like they did in that day. He needs people in place. I believe we're going to be those people. Hallelujah. We're going to be part of that remnant. And now I want to bring it down to, to another level, to your personal level. Maybe in your life personally, maybe it seems like that God has been silent. Silent. It may seem like there's been silence. It may seem like there's been delay. It may seem like I've prayed, I've believed, I've trusted God, I'm holding on to His Word. It seems like nothing is happening. I want to promise you today and encourage you today and remind you today that God is faithful. God will keep His Word. All the promises of God, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, in Christ are yes, 
Hallelujah. And amen through us to the glory of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen means so be it in my life. Hallelujah. He's going to fulfill his promise to you. Your part is to continue to believe, to hold fast to his promise, and to continue to live like Barbara. She set it up so beautifully and, and when she shared it with the offering, to continue to live with expectation. Expectation. Hallelujah. <laughs> My, I, took a, I took Elliot out. We were supposed to go to his cousin's basketball game. <laughs> but Elliot knew that plan B was Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Yesterday afternoon. And, and he, his ears are kind of sensitive. And so we went into the gym and, and uh, Aaron's sister's little boy was playing. Well, he's not little. He's a big boy. He's, he's 10, but he's the biggest one on the court. But uh, Brody, but um, uh, we went into the gym and it was loud and never screaming. And Elliot's like, Poppy, I can't, I can't go in there. And I said, okay, well, we'll go to Chick-fil-A. This is going to be fun. He said, he perked right up. And uh, why did I, oh, I know what, what I got. So we're sitting at Chick-fil-A eating and, and uh, no, I, think it was, I think it was after we'd left and we were driving, I was driving him back home. And he said, uh, I just can't wait to open my presents. I said, oh, do you already have presents under the tree? He said, yeah, I do. He said, I can't wait to open my presents. So he's going to have to wait a couple of weeks, but can you imagine the expectation that's building in that little boy over these next two weeks until he can open his presents on Christmas morning? And don't you, don't you remember that expectation that you had at, at, at this season at Christmas time about... about being able to open your presence and have, have presence and have gifts. God wants us to live with that expectation of His promises, of Him fulfilling His word, of Jesus coming back. Let that, let, cultivate that. Let that fill your heart. Let that overflow in your heart during this season. Amen. Praise God. Let me pray for you and pray with you right now. Bow your heads. Oh, Father, thank you. Thank you for meeting with us today, Father. Thank you, Father. We are your people today, Lord. We are part of your remnant today, Lord. That continue to believe. That continue to follow. Father, we're going to be those kind of people. We, Father, we commit before you. And we're not going to stop believing that we're not going to stop following you. We know that your word is sure. We know that your promise is sure. We thank you for it. Father, let that expectation of you working in our lives and of, and of the return of Jesus and the fulfillment of your plan, let that expectation rise and be strong and clear in our hearts. And let that expectation carry us through every difficulty, every disappointment, every obstacle that the enemy may try to bring against us. Father, we will stand steadfast. And Father, we will continue by your grace to continue to serve you, to follow you, to live for you. Oh, it's all worth it. It's all worth it. 
Because just like Simeon and Anna, we're going to be right in the middle. We're going to see your glory. We're going to be right in the middle of things as your great plan unfolds in these last days. We thank you for it. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. I want to pray, anybody in here or anybody joining us on YouTube, I want to pray especially for you if you've never invited Jesus. If you just remain in an attitude of prayer for a moment. Anyone here in the auditorium, you'd say, Pastor, I've never invited Jesus into my heart to be my Lord and Savior. I've never personally asked Him in and said, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. I give my life to you. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Come into my life. Wash away my sin. Make me new. If you've never done that, I want to pray for you. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Pastor, pray for me. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. And you that are joining us on YouTube, if you've never done this, I'm going to lead you in a prayer in just a moment. And you can pray. And Jesus will come into your heart and be the Lord of your life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. I don't see anyone in the auditorium here, but I want us to pray along with those that are joining us on YouTube, maybe watching us live stream, or maybe you're watching this after the fact sometime. Uh, maybe you're watching this after we're all gone to heaven in the rapture. I want to pray with you right now. You can receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Just put your hand over your heart. And those in the auditorium, you join, you join me in this as well and pray this in support of those that are praying it right now. Pray this after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you now in the name of Jesus. I recognize that I need a Savior. I can't save myself. There's emptiness. There's guilt. There's shame that I don't know how to deal with. I try to mask it. I try to ignore it. But yet it's there. I need someone to take it away. And Jesus, I believe that's you. So I call on you now. Come into my heart. Be the Lord of my life. Wash away my sin. I turn from my sin. I turn from my ways. And Jesus, I want to follow your ways. I trust in you. And I believe that by your grace and your power that you give me eternal life. You are the Son of God. You died for my sins. And you were raised from the dead the third day. You are alive. And you are my Lord and my Savior. And you are my King who is coming again. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Praise God.